So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and for your spirit, through which we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Thank you that our lives are safe and hidden in Christ. And so we ask that now, by word and by spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you'll say to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what comes to your mind, first of all, when you think of temptation. For me, undoubtedly, the first thing that comes to mind is cake. It's sweet stuff. I love desserts. I don't understand anybody who says after a meal, no matter how much they've eaten, I can't understand why they would ever say, I don't have any room for dessert. It definitely goes into a different stomach. It just doesn't compute with me at all. Um, there's always room for dessert, even after a really big meal. Even when I know I've maybe eaten too much already, the temptation of dessert is just too great, and it gets me every single time. I always say, I'll look at the menu and see if there's something to tempt me, and there always is. But obviously, when Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, he's talking about something a lot more serious than cream buns. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Maybe when I mentioned temptation, you thought of something much more personal to yourself. Now, none of us tonight are unique in temptation. And we read Paul say, didn't we, that we don't experience any temptation which isn't common to man. But I imagine most of us find this quite uncomfortable to think about, maybe even more so than thinking about our sins ourselves, because when we admit that we're tempted, it's kind of an admission that we actually want to do the thing. It's an admission of our desires. We're admitting that part of us actually desires the sin and, and part of us actually likes doing it, even if we know that the, the pleasure is always short-lived. As somebody in my position, sometimes people come to me and you know they'll say, I've got real issues with, with greed. You know, I, I just see in my life that I'm driven by wanting more or climbing the career ladder or just obtaining stuff or money. Other people come to me and say, you know, I have a real issue with anger. I just, you know, when I get stressed, it just causes me so much angst and, and I really get off when I let somebody have it. For others, it's lust. Some are addicted to watching pornography. But if we never get past the surface problem of what the sin is to the temptation, it's actually difficult to deal with the problem. I'll give you an example. Um, friends of Justine's and mine um, got married about 12 years ago, and they're a Christian couple. Everything seemed great. We took part in their wedding. And then out of the blue, she got in touch with Justine, and they met up, and she confided that he had been unfaithful. And it was a real shock to the system, um, especially considering who they were and their character and all the rest of it. But we met up with him some weeks later, and, and that was really hard. But it was really interesting looking back, because he was clearly devastated by his own actions. But the one thing that strikes me as I look back on it is that he never actually addressed his own desires. He basically said, well, you know, the devil's out to get us, isn't he? It's like anybody else, I was tempted, I gave in, and now I'm repenting. And that's the language he used. But actually in time, he got impatient with his wife. He said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm trying to mend things. And he couldn't understand 
why she wasn't up for mending things too. The marriage didn't survive. And I think the reason for that was that he never addressed the heart issue. She knew it. She was hurt by it. She felt betrayed by it. The fact that he wanted to go and be with somebody else. That was more painful for him to admit to that. Not that he'd actually done the thing. That was okay. He could admit that. It wasn't great, but it was easier than admitting that he'd actually wanted to. Now, maybe not many of us will find ourselves in that kind of position, but there are two big issues, I think, when we don't confront the issue of temptation. One is pride, not wanting to admit that we have those feelings at all, and that doesn't actually allow us to deal with them. And the other one that kind of goes hand in hand with that is shame. I'm meant to be way up here. I'm meant to be a new creation with new desires in Christ who doesn't want to sin anymore. But what I experience is down here. I'm really tempted and I struggle. And because of that shame, many of us struggle alone because we don't think that our fellow believers will want to hear that we struggle with lust or that we want to get lots of stuff. What Christian would want to admit to something like that? We can talk about sin sometimes in a disconnected way, but, but to actually talk about the temptation, it, it's more personal. When we talk about it, we're admitting that we feel like we want this to sin, and that fills us with shame. Now, we do have new desires in us if we love Jesus, but we still have the old desires too, and that's a battle, and that battle is biblical. If you don't believe me, go away and, and read Romans 7. You probably are familiar with it where, where Paul says, you know, the things that I know I should do and the things I want to do, I don't do them half the time. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the very things that I do. It doesn't make the sin okay. Of course it doesn't. But it maybe would free us if we did own up to it, to confess our sin to one another. It would maybe remove some of that unhealthy shame. Yes, we'd be, we're still to be convicted of our sin, but wallowing in guilt is not something that we're meant to do. If we're able to talk about how we're being tempted more openly, maybe we could help each other in the battle. I think we miss this quite a lot in our thinking, but we shouldn't. Sin is bad, yes, and those desires that tempt us, they are sinful, I'm not saying that they're good, but I am saying that they're part of our experience. It's common to man. They'll be with us for as long as we live here on this earth. So we don't have to close up shop and suppress the fact that we feel tempted and be crushed under the weight of the shame. It's meant to be part of the Christian life, this battle. I know a guy, he's a retired minister now, but he went to a church, I don't know, 30 years ago, and he said that when he went there, the church was full of good people. And when he left, the church was full of sinners. And he said it as a positive thing because everybody was kind of pretending that they were all fine when he went. And he said his, his biggest achievement, and he did say it humbly, um, I'm probably overselling him slightly, just throw that out there. But he said his biggest achievement, more or less, was getting people to be real. And it's actually really freeing alongside asking God for the physical things we need in the Lord's Prayer for our daily bread and for asking for forgiveness from our sins. Jesus doesn't stop. He goes right to the heart of the forgiveness issue. He encourages us to pray that we would be helped in the battle that is temptation, that we'd be delivered from the evil one. So this sermon might be a, a bit uncomfortable to hear tonight, 
But I want you to be encouraged too. I said that before we sang because the Bible has lots to say that is encouraging even in the midst of temptation and even when we're faced with the wretchedness of our own desires. So tonight I want us to think together about two things that we need to realize about temptation and three things we can do about it. So the first thing we need to realize is our own weakness. We have to admit that. As human beings, we're not really good at admitting that in temptation, much of the problem lies within ourselves. We like to blame somebody else. We like to blame the devil for tempting us. But part of the problem is in ourselves. In the Garden of Eden, God asks Adam and Eve, what, you know, why have you eaten the fruit? And Adam says, it's the woman. It's the woman you gave to me. It wasn't me, it was the woman. And the woman says, well, it was the snake. He made it sound so good and I, I couldn't help it. And neither of them stopped and said, I thought it looked good. I thought what the snake said about it was a bit better than what you said about it, God, so I wanted to eat it. We're not good at admitting that we're part of the problem, but that's the reality. In the letter of James in the New Testament, we're told up front, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Anyone who is given into temptation, in other words, all of us, can probably hardly deny the truth of that statement. It's like those three magic words on the menu, sticky toffee pudding, get me every time, only much worse. I know if I've had a slap up meal in the restaurant that my body doesn't need anything else, I've probably consumed my entire calorific requirements for the day and the main course. I know it's bad for me, or at least in excess it's bad for me, but I want it, so I have it. Now, I don't want dessert to get a bad rep here. As long as I don't overdo it, and as long as I don't do it all the time, it's okay, but sin is deadly, because sin hurts God. I love how simply uh, Philip Ryken puts it in his book on the Lord's Prayer. He says, you're a sinner, therefore sin is a real temptation for you. I mean, you can't get much simpler than that. I, I love in our reading earlier, uh, it made me laugh out loud earlier in the week, Matthew chapter four, verse two, it says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. I mean, who needs to be told that somebody who hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights is hungry? It's pretty obvious. But Matthew knows us and he knows that we might miss that, so he says it. And this, <laughs> this is a similar phrase. You're a sinner, therefore sin is a real temptation for you. I'm sorry, my pages are in the wrong order. Yeah, Matthew knows us. He knows we might skip over that. We need, I'll need this page sometime later, so I'll set it over here. We need to recognize, though, that this is true, that, that we have an openness to sin, and we need to do so especially in moments of weakness. The Bible is full of stories of people who've given into temptation at moments when they've been particularly vulnerable to it. We read from 1 Corinthians 10 about the people of Israel after they'd been rescued from Egypt. They were tired, they were hungry, they were in the desert, they were probably quite hot. They wondered what happened to Moses, you know, he, he was away for so long. They were susceptible to temptation and Paul says they're given as an example to us. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We're susceptible 
And we should probably recognize ourselves in many of the stories of the Bible. Like Eve, we're vulnerable when we act on our own. Like Abraham, who lied about his wife to to save his own skin, we're vulnerable to temptation when we're scared. Like David, who committed adultery when his men were off in battle, we're vulnerable to temptation when we're idle. Like Elijah, who didn't want to serve God anymore, asked for him to end his life, we're vulnerable when we're tired. Like Peter, who denied Jesus, we're vulnerable when we're overconfident. Oh no, Jesus, not me. No, even if I have to go with you to death, no, no problem, I'll never let you down. But what does Jesus say to him in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. He was basically saying to Peter, you know that prayer that I taught you a while ago? You should pray that now. Lead us not into temptation. But Peter was overconfident, so confident that he slept. He didn't need to pray. And we all know what happened. And this is why we so often fall into sin when we're tempted. We're tired, we're hungry, we're alone. We're complacent about sin. We need to realize our own weakness. Secondly, then, we need to realize that we have an enemy. That's this page. The second part of this line in the prayer is, and deliver us from the evil one. Now, just a quick note. We we said the Lord's Prayer together um, last week. Uh, Don't worry, Marty, you were in Singapore. We did actually say it in the first week, but it's okay. I forgive you. It's fine. The King James Version says, deliver us from evil. Um, Now, the Greek could be taken either way, but the word from here usually refers to a person, so it's probably a better translation to say, deliver us from the evil one. Um, But even if you want to use the old version, that's fine. We just need to realize that evil um, has an evil one behind it, the devil himself. And the idea of Satan, um, the devil, it's not one that our world has much time for, but the Bible takes him seriously, and so should we. Back to Peter, in 1 Peter 5, he describes Satan as a roaring lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. I suppose it's no wonder that Peter realized that. And I'm sure many of us, when we think about our own failures um, in the face of temptation, can identify with that. The devil's persistent. If we resist him once, well, it seems to take no time before he's back again, tempting maybe in the same way or a different way. And if we show the slightest sign of weakness, he keeps pressing us. He doesn't let up. He's crafty. He starts small, and then when he succeeds, he presents us with a slightly bigger temptation, and we find ourselves slowly and gradually being sucked into deeper sin. Sometimes he's so subtle that we're already sinning before we realize that we've even been tempted. Sometimes he makes sin seem really appealing, or he makes it seem like something good, something right. We see that in our society, things that the Bible says are wrong, but they're being put forward as, no, this is right, this is free, and this is good. He's creative. He's such a vast array of sins uh, to tempt us with, lust, anger, hatred, greed. He has sins just for religious people, you know, self-righteousness, spiritual pride. He has sins for all ages and stages. Children are tempted to be selfish. Teenagers, sarcasm. Adults tempted to be sexually immoral. Not that any of us are immune from any of those things. Older adults sometimes become greedy or bitter. Satan is deceptive. Jesus says that when Satan lies, he's speaking his native language. Just this once, he says, you can't help yourself. 
you're going to give in at some point anyway, so you might as well do it now. It'll make you feel good. It'll be different this time. We have to realize that we have an enemy and our enemy is strong. Now he's finite and God is greater than him. It's one of the great promises of scripture that the one in us is greater than the one who's in the world. But we need to recognize uh, the danger. Marty um, shared a wee bit last week um, on his reflections from Singapore about reading Richard Baxter's book, uh, The Reformed Pastor, and about how sin in ministry can be damaging. That's what Satan is all about. It's true for ministers, it's true for elders, it's true for anyone in leadership in any kind of way where we're responsible for other people. It's true for parents, it's true in families, sin wreaks havoc. It's true for Christian teachers. It's true for any of us who want to be a witness for Jesus for other people. Sin is deadly and Satan wants to discredit your witness. He wants to divide your family. He wants to destroy churches. And so we have to be so aware of him. Now, I realize that all of that so far might sound quite depressing. So I want to say there are some good things coming your way at this stage. Um, I think it's, too, it's important to realize how weak we are and just how real the opposition we face is as we live for Jesus. But what about the things that we can do then in the face of temptation? One of the things we can do um, is to avoid the opportunity to sin when it's in our power to do so. It isn't always in our power to do so. But one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is Joseph. Um, if you go to Genesis 39, we read that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And the action that Joseph takes is worth looking at. We're told a few verses later, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. He just made sure he wasn't alone with her at any stage. He didn't allow himself to be tempted. Maybe he knew she was very attractive and, and he might have been tempted. So he says, look, I'm not doing it. I won't be alone with you. Now, if you know the story, you'll know that despite those intentions, he ends up in prison when she falsely accuses him of making advances. But notice what he does. He doesn't give himself the opportunity even to be tempted to take her up on her offer. I won't be alone with you. And so many failures in scripture that we see are people who put themselves in difficult positions. When David saw Bathsheba bathing, he should have just got out of there. He should have turned away, but he didn't. He kept looking. He had that lustful second look. If your sin is gossip, maybe you need to get out of the WhatsApp group. Or maybe you need to sit somewhere else at lunchtime. If your sin is spending too much time on your phone and not really being a godly example to your parents, or to, to your children as a parent, maybe you just need to leave the phone outside the room when you're with the kids. If your sin is lust, maybe you need to just not watch that series or not to watch it alone, or to have a blanket rule of no electronics after a certain time, or you can get all kinds of creative software out there which either blocks adult content altogether or something like Covenant Eyes which sends an email to a friend if you do try to access porn. If your sin is greed, maybe you need to, to get a friend to hold you accountable. If your sin is idleness, maybe you need to set notifications on your phone to do certain things, to be productive, set screen limits for yourself. If your sin is anger, maybe you need to remove yourself from the situations which make you angry. It's not a solution that will work on its own, but it can be a powerful way to break sinful habits, to avoid opportunities for the devil to tempt us. 
Now, another thing we can do is we can quote the scriptures. That's what Jesus did after all. Um, again, we see the craftiness of the devil in this. Turn these stones to bread. I mean, we, he was hungry after all. If you're the son of God, and Jesus uses God's word, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But Satan knows the Bible, so his next trick is to twist words from Psalm 91 to try and get Jesus to jump off the highest point of the temple. But Jesus knows the scriptures better and knows it isn't right to put God to the test. And then the third time, when he's tempted with the whole world and all the power in the world, Jesus again uses the word of God. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Like Jesus does something which um, is talked about elsewhere in the Bible, a very powerful weapon. He uses what Paul calls in Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Martin Luther was a big fan of doing this. He said, I've had great troubles, but so soon as I lay hold on any piece of scripture and state myself upon it as upon my chief anchor, straight away my temptations vanished away. When the tempter seems too strong, we can remind ourselves of those words that he in us is greater than he who is in the world. If greed is our problem, then maybe you want to commit to memory Paul's words in Philippians 4. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of, sorry, of well-fed and going hungry and having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can use the scriptures. We can be very specific in how we use the scriptures to um, answer temptation. But there is a third thing that we can do. Um, and this thing is, is better than any of the things I've said so far. It was a good place to have a break, as it turns out, because this really is the key to everything. We can remove ourselves from a situation. You know, that's a good thing, but we'll never, ever be able to remove ourselves from every situation. And we can ask other believers to help us, and that's good. But sometimes they'll let us down because they're sinful too. And it's even something that we need to do before we memorize portions of scripture in our minds. Because the best thing that we can do is to pray and to ask Jesus for help. That's what he taught us to do, isn't it? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what he told Peter to do. And he didn't do it. He was tired, it was late at night, and he was tempted just to save his own skin and deny Jesus. We see in the Bible, Joseph modeling, getting out of situations where he might be tempted. We see Jesus modeling using scripture, but the only thing that we are actually commanded to do in the face of temptation, apart from resisting it, is to pray, because Jesus can help us. He tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, we know that temptation is gonna be part of the Christian life. Jesus isn't saying that when you pray this, uh, you'll face no temptation at all. Um, I've been reading through some of John's gospel recently um, and I was struck on Friday um, in John 17 about how Jesus prays for his disciples in the upper room. And he says this to his father. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. Jesus didn't pray that we'd be completely removed from all testing and temptation because he has a purpose for us in those things. He doesn't tempt us, but he does allow us to be tested and tempted because it's through those things that we grow. The old song is right. 
Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. So we're not praying with the expectation that we'll not be tempted at all, but we still do believe what Jesus is saying. If we pray this, we may experience less temptation. He'll protect us, but he will allow us to be tested, but ultimately it's for our good. Um, the Shorter Catechism puts it really well. Um, in question 106, what do we pray for in the sixth petition? The answer is this. In the sixth petition, which is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted because we can't do it on our own. There's a certain amount that we can do. We've thought about that, but we can't do it without his help. Another old song, I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. And as we ask him to help us, we can do so with immense confidence that he can actually help us. And we know he can because we're shown in his word that he has the power to overcome temptation. You know, we ask God not to lead us into temptation, but it's really interesting in Matthew chapter 4 that God did lead Jesus into temptation. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And Hebrews tells us we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one in who, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. We see the one who's not only defeated our sin, but the one who proved that he could withstand the tempter, even when he was tired and hungry and sweltered in the desert. That's why we could have confidence in him to come through for us. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians that he will always give us a way out. And with him, we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear. And that's why our fight with temptation isn't a losing battle. Maybe temptation for you tonight has quite a hold in your life. Ask God for help. Pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus gets it. He understands, he sympathizes with us, and he has the power to help us win those battles until the day when the battle is finally won. I know it's been reasonably heavy going, and you've even survived me. I still haven't found that page I was missing, by the way, but you've even survived me and my shortcomings. But I don't want us to finish tonight discouraged. I want you to remember words from the start of Romans 8 that you know which say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that there's no condemnation for those who usually don't give in to temptation. It doesn't say that there's no condemnation for people who are kind of good and, and can resist the tempter. The only qualification for there being no condemnation is that you're in Christ Jesus. And even though we face battles with the tempter um, in this life, there's no condemnation, and we can rest in that confidence. 
So we're going to pray together, and I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer um, as a template um, and also the, the shorter catechism to build on each of the lines. Um, so let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we draw near to you with all holy reverence and confidence. We come as your children to our Father who is able and ready to help us as we pray together for ourselves and for others. Lord, in our lives, enable us to glorify you in all that we do. And as we live and work in the creation that displays your power and mercy, may we be able to do all things to your own glory. Your kingdom come. We pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace, your kingdom, may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened in. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you, by your grace, would make us able and willing to know and obey and submit to your will in all things, as the angels do in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. We pray that of your free gift, we would receive a sufficient portion of the good things of this life and enjoy your blessing with them. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray that you would, for Christ's sake, pardon all our sins. And we're encouraged to ask this because by your grace, we're able from the heart to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We do pray that you would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. We praise you in our prayers. We ascribe to you the kingdom, power and glory. And we pray in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name.